This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash rubyrogues. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Cameron Dutro. Cameron, do you want to say hello? Hey there, everybody. Now, we've had you on Ruby Rogues twice. We had you on to talk about internationalization on episode 267 and episode 287, where we talked about hacking the asset pipeline. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That was good. Those were good times. So, yeah, it's it's been, what, a, a year? No more uh, than that. that. Right. A year and a half. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Great. Well, um, do you want to just give a brief introduction and then we will dive right into these interview questions? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, like Chuck said, I'm Cameron Dutro. I work at Lumosity, which is a uh, company that makes brain training games. So um, our big product uh, is, is a web app and a mobile app. And I work on the platform team specifically. So I work a lot on internationalization, which is why I was on the show to talk about that a little while ago year and a half ago, and uh, also a bunch of other concerns that we have. So um, our team is responsible for our email infrastructure, for landing pages, um, payments, and things like that. Uh, we do a lot of support of our web team, and um, we also do just like a lot of general cleanup work and migration work and making sure Rails is up to date, Ruby's up to date, that kind of thing. Awesome. Yeah, um, I've, I've only played briefly with Lumosity, but it's, it's an interesting... Uh... It's an interesting app and an interesting idea just to kind of expand your your brain's working. So, yeah, absolutely, I, re- I really like it, and I also love the company. Um, and if you if you know of, so I'll just take this moment to plug kind of our job openings, <laughs> <laughs> as usual. Uh, we have an opening for a platform engineer, so that's the team I work on, and we also have an opening for a DevOps engineer. We call it production engineering. So if you know anybody or you yourself are a crack uh, production engineer or uh, a really good platform engineer, hit me up. Do people have to move to work there? or No, we have a lot of remote work. I think okay. we'd probably prefer if you lived here, but that's not super important. And by the way, here is, is San Francisco. All right, good deal. I, I just thought I'd ask since you know some people are looking for different markets. So Yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's dig in. Let's uh, find out who Cameron is. Cameron, how did you get into programming? Well, so I, I've always really liked computers, and like the, my one of my earliest memories is uh, I was probably four years old, and I was standing kind of at the door to my dad's office, and I was eating a piece of toast, and I was watching him play on his IBM XT, which he bought in like 1985, I think. Uh, so I guess I wouldn't have been four; I probably would have been like three. And uh, he was playing this flight simulator game, and the whole thing just like totally captured my imagination. Just watching kind of, I didn't really understand what was happening on the screen, but there's all these colorful shapes and all these things happening and it just looked really exciting. Um, and he, by the way, was one of the first people in his field. He's a 
uh, general contractor. So he works, he's self-employed okay. and, uh, he bought a computer in 85 because he just was really tired of having to enter everything manually and keep track of everything manually. So bids and estimates and whatnot for his construction business. So he bought this 85 XT and it just kind of like revolutionized how he was able to do, to do business. And so he kind of brought me and my, my siblings up with kind of this, like, Oh, isn't our computers cool? Um, so that's kind of the first time that I ever really even kind of thought about what a computer was or what it could do. Um, and then kind of from there, I, um, just kind of got more and more interested. And so, uh, when I was in elementary school, I started writing pre computer programs in basic and visual basic. Um, and if you guys remember visual basic six, that was, that was the best visual basic six was <laughs> basically like a, a system where you could create programs like, and this is all windows by the way, cause I lived, I grew up in Seattle. So it was all Microsoft. Of course. Um, yeah, of course. Uh, so visual basic six, pretty cool. You could like create a form and you could drag buttons onto that form. And when you double clicked on the button, it would take you to a place where you could enter like behavior for that button, uh, you know, coded behavior for that button. And it just was so easy and so magical. I just like fell in love with it right away. And, um, one of the first programs that I ever made was this program that would basically like prank your system. So like you would click on a button and it would bring up a little message box. And like, as soon as your mouse hovered over the okay button to get rid of the message box, it would like jump to a different part of the screen. So you could never click the okay button <laughs> and you had to, you had to realize that you had to push the enter key instead. And that would, that would dismiss it and you could move on to the next prank. So it was, it was really dumb, but it was also a lot of fun to do. Um, and then from there, just a bunch of other little programs just playing around and, you know, not spending time working on homework and things like that. And, uh, you know, elementary school, right? Right. So, um, kind of moved on from there in high school, I was started to transition to .NET and C sharp and, uh, wrote a program that would help you create an MLA, uh, bibliography for your research papers. Cause in high school, like research papers were kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. We had to write one like every year of high school and the MLA, like our teachers were really, really like authoritarian about how we would format our sources. And so, um, I spent a long time coming up with like, like reading the MLA handbook, like way longer than I would have if I was just writing the papers right. and like it coded all these rules into these text files and the program would open these text files and get all this. I think they were actually XML files and it would get all these, these like, um, you know, definitions of how like to cite a source from a magazine or a newspaper or whatever. Um, and like I tried to sell it to my classmates, <laughs> you know, they, they, I think only one person bought this program, but, uh, but it helped me for sure. I, I was able to use it for my research papers. So that was really what mattered, I guess. Um, so from there, I went to, went to college and got a degree in computer science. And um, then from there, um, right out of college, I got a job with a company called Flutter. They're an online question and answer site. And uh, they were acquired by Twitter three months after I started there. So I worked at Twitter for about four years and then left to join uh, Lumosity. So, and I've been here for the past uh, three or so years. That's cool. Yeah, that's kind of the whole history. So I know people are a little bit uh, interested. What was it like working at Twitter? Oh, Twitter was Twitter was actually really really fun. It it was at least it started out that way. Um, I joined kind of when this would have been like mid two thousand eleven. I guess it was like January of 2011. Um, and at that time, Twitter was still kind of a, a startup. You know, they kind of the startup mentality, and things were things were not quite as. Um, like they were a private company and all that. So, so working there was a lot of fun, a lot of little, like very energetic and like, um, enthusiastic people and stuff like that. And then, but when I left, it was the company had kind of turned into, cause it had gone public at that point and it turned into a much more like, we're much more interested in making money instead of like, um, 
instead of instead of kind of being the the quirky fun company that we were before that and so that's that's why i left it was just not really mm-hmm. i wasn't having a lot of fun there anymore but um but no i mean you should totally if if any of your listeners are thinking about working for twitter i would definitely give it a shot it's uh, they have really good engineering organization um like one of the best i think and uh, lots of good people so give it a shot that makes sense that makes, of course of course if you're looking for you're a look- job go work at lumosity right Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, we would try us first and then go to Twitter. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. All right. So, how did you get into Ruby? Was it Twitter or was it somewhere else? Well, so actually, it was Twitter. Uh, Twitter's big main, you know, um, Twitter.com application was a Rails two point three app, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the time, like when I was working there, I actually wasn't working on um, on Twitter.com. I was working on uh, the Translation Center, which was this like. Rails two three app as well, and it was all for the purpose of crowdsource translating all the all the strings in like all of our various products. So Twitter.com, iOS app, Android app, like our year in review site, like all these different things were on the Translation Center platform. Um, and anybody could go sign up for an account. You just kind of use your Twitter account. You go to translate.twitter.com and you could start translating. And that's how like the majority of the uh, of all of our stuff was translated for a very long time for like the whole time I was there. Um, we had communities of people that would come, I had this one guy who would, who translated like literally all of our strings, like 15,000 strings into Chinese. And until he figured out he'd gotten the wrong locale code. So he hacked the URL, changed the locale code and like did another 15,000 Chinese translations. And we didn't even support Chinese. He just hacked the URL and like just dumped all these strings into our system. It was like kind of an amazing experience. Like, you know, people that are so passionate about Twitter, they were so passionate about making sure that Twitter was available to their friends, to their family members, that they, they would spend all this time translating for us. And, and it was, it was just very, it was humbling. It was mind blowing. And, and so that's, that's made the product I worked on was just trying to kind of handle the scale that that was at. Um, which of course, you know, that wasn't nearly the same scale as Twitter.com, but you know, still was pretty high scale. Um, and you know, just making sure the whole thing worked well. And we upgraded it from rails two to rails three and then to rails four. And so, um, that was really where all my Ruby experience came from was working on that. That that's cool. That that just sounds like a fun project. Interesting oh, it was. Challenges. Yeah, totally. So um, it sounds like that's something you're fairly proud of, uh, having done that in Ruby. Are there other projects that you want to talk about that you're particularly proud of that you've done in Ruby? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, I mean, so I've been using Ruby now for you know since since 2010, 2011. So it's been you know seven or eight years, and um, lots has changed you know in the tech world, uh, but also in the Ruby world. Um, but I, I've just kind of continued to really like the language and, and really like the kind of the power that it gives me. You know, that's that's the number one tool that I reach for even today. You know, I, so many people talk about, you know, JavaScript and how cool that is. And like, you know, JavaScript's fine. And I know you have a JavaScript podcast. So I won't mm-hmm. bash JavaScript too much. But uh, it's <laughs> I, I personally think that that Ruby is 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 still um, still really relevant and still a, a really fantastic language to learn and to use. And, um, so in terms of other projects that I, that I worked on that I'm proud of, um, yeah, so I've, I've used, uh, Ruby for a number of Ruby gems. I've got a bunch of gems, uh, under my uh, username on GitHub, um, and also to rubygems.org. So ones you may have heard of before, um, there's one called Errol helpers, which is, uh, a gem to help you construct database queries, uh, with that, that, mean you don't have to drop down to writing raw strings or raw SQL. You can still use, uh, Errol, which is, which is the, the underlying system that active record uses to mm-hmm. compose queries and then execute them. 
So uh, that that's a project I've worked on that's got a lot of traction. Um, and that was also part of a, of a project that I talked about at RailsConf 2015 in Chicago, or 2014, I think, um, which is called Scuttle. So if you go to scuttle.io, that's um, a, a little web app that you can copy and paste a SQL command into or a SQL statement into, and it will generate um, valid uh, Ruby code for you so that you can just drop that into your apps. You don't have to worry about, you know, learning Errol or learning my uh, active records, really, you know, kind of intricacies and to do some of the complicated stuff like, mm-hmm. you know, lots of cross joins and things like that. You can just drop your SQL right into this app and it'll give you Ruby code that you can copy and paste into your app. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun to work on. So that's in Ruby. Um, one of the things I worked on, um, let's see, I've done a lot of work uh, trying to make the asset pipeline faster, and that comes kind of in the form of several gems, um, just lots of asset pipeline work in general. Um, one of those gems is called Turbo Sprockets Rails 4, and that's kind of an extension of this gem that somebody else made called Turbo Sprockets Rails 3, and it uh, just tries to to really increase the, um, or I should say decrease the amount of time it takes to precompile assets in Rails. Um, yeah, and, and there's you know a bunch of other kind of various little projects, a little um, some games. I wrote a... Um, uh, an automatic solver for um, Lumosity's pet detective game because I, I couldn't move on. I couldn't advance in the game. I didn't know what I was doing wrong. And so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wrote this little program that like spits out the answer. And I, I want to say, it's not because I wanted to cheat. It's because I wanted to know, like, how could I have solved this? You know, like, what am I doing wrong in this in this game? Why can't I get to the next level? Um, and, and using that actually really helped. I was able to get to the next level. After that, just kind of by learning what like what strategies I could adopt. So, so yeah, and that actually involved some computer vision stuff. It involved like a lot of algorithm work. Like I tried a genetic algorithm for that. Um, eventually, settled on something that was a little more brute force. But yeah, like just lots of lots of lots of, of Ruby work over the years. Yeah, does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, definitely. That that last one reminds me. I'm trying to remember the name of the game, but uh, I wrote a little solver for one of the games that I was playing and. Um, I, I don't remember what it was. I'll probably remember when we're doing picks and I'll just pick it, but yeah. Awesome. No, that's fun. Yeah. I mean, that can, that can really help. I think just if you're struggling with, with anything, you know, it can really help to just to try to like model that thing in code somehow and, you know, just play around that, that actually I think is kind of like a form of rubber ducking. It's like, okay, what is this problem really? How do I break it down? And, you know, that may reveal, kind of some underlying assumptions that you had that were wrong, or it could also um, just reveal kind of like a different strategy for solving something you didn't even think of before. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's really cool. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And it's funny because some of the things you're talking about, it's like, you know what, I was, I, I needed this, like the arrow helpers, for example, you know, it's like, hey, you know what, people needed this, they, they needed to figure it out. And, you know, and so you, you just figured out how to give it to them. And then others like the, the game solver, you know, it was like, oh, well, I had this personal thing that I was trying to deal with. And, you know, so I just kind of hacked something together. Totally. Yeah. I think, I think the gems all kind of fall into a couple of categories. Like one you mentioned, it's like itch scratching, you know, like I had this problem and I wanted to, to solve it. And then another one is like, you know, I, maybe I didn't personally have this problem or maybe I did, but I also thought there was a wider audience for that problem. And so that's, that's kind of what, what Errol Helpers is, is like a, a generic, you know, way of addressing a, a system uh, or a class of problems that other people also had. Yep, Absolutely. So what are you working on these days? Well, okay, so let's see. These days, um, I'm working, of course, you know, full-time for Lumosity. And and uh, right now, I'm kind of working on this feature that um, will make hopefully make email, or uh, not emails, but but logging in easier. You know, people forget their passwords and stuff, and there's a lot of friction kind of associated with with logging in if you don't know your password. Uh, so I'm working on that for, for work. 
Uh, and then on the side, um, I am working right now on, let's see, do you know the, the prawn PDF library? Mm-hmm. Okay. So what a lot of people may not know is that prawn has uh, a gem called TT funk that it depends on. And TT funk is a true type font parsing and font subsetting library that I think was written by the same people. And, um, at one point I was trying, I was trying to, to subset fonts. Actually, it was kind of a, I wanted it to be like an asset pipeline integration, um, where it would automatically subset your font based or, you know, your, your web fonts based on, um, the characters that you currently have in like your, your, um, your locale YAML files for rails. And so, you know, automatically find all the unique characters that you're using and automatically subset the fonts that you could streamline. Cause like one of our fonts is like four megabytes and that's kind of a, that's kind of a huge font. So we're like, well, can we streamline this? And I was looking for a way to do that in Ruby. And um, TT Funk exists, but unfortunately, it's only able to parse true type fonts um, or you know fonts that end in the .ttf extension. And um, a, a really large number of fonts, especially international fonts, don't um, don't uh, don't come in TTF format. They come in OTF format, which is the open type format. Uh, TTF and OTF are really uh, like very similar, but OTF is a lot adds a lot more kind of information to the font. And so I, I embarked on this perhaps foolish journey of adding OTF support to TT Funk, and uh, it has been extremely challenging, but also a lot of a lot of fun and, and, and rewarding to try and figure that out. Because you know fonts are, are packed in this binary format that uh, that you have to read very carefully and then reconstruct very carefully on the other side once you've stripped out all the stuff you don't want. And so I've probably spent a good oh man. I've already spent a good like three or four months on this whole thing trying to, and this has been just in you know my spare time, um, you know, trying to get this to work. Uh, but like I said, it's been a lot of fun, and I'm, I'm pretty close to, to kind of figuring it out. So hopefully that the, the pull request for this thing is going to be enormous, and so I hope I hope that <laughs> whoever whoever maintains this thing is willing to look at it. Maybe I'll break it up. But anyway, that's that's been a lot of fun. So yeah, that's that's kind of the number one thing. Um, and I'm also trying to get my master's degree in computer science at the moment too. So. Also working on that. Interesting. It's funny because, uh, you know, we, we have the debate, you know, now that you've mentioned your master's degree, we have the debate in the computer science realm, right? Should I get a degree? Should I, you know, all this stuff? I'm curious, like, what's your take since you're getting sort of above and beyond higher education? Yeah, so you're saying the question is, like, do I need a degree in order to work in the tech field, right? Yeah, and then, you know, what advantages does it offer, I mean, to get a master's degree? That's a really good question. And I, I've heard this um, on the, the Ruby Rogues and the changelog a bunch of times, you know, and I, I think that the answer is, you know, do you want to get, or do you want to get a job in tech? And if you do, do you need a degree? I think that the answer to that is, is by and large, no. I think you don't need an advanced degree or even a bachelor's degree to, at least in, in computer science, in order to get a, a job in the field, um, than the technology field. And I say that because I know a lot of people, you know, here in San Francisco, um, but also just, you know, kind of all over the country who have gotten tech jobs who never studied anything like, you know, anything about tech. I mean, I have somebody, one of my friends who graduated with a degree, I think in biology or maybe it was chemistry, and they now have a job working as a, as a JavaScript programmer for uh, a company in, uh, in the Bay Area here. So right. I, I, and I know a lot of people who have had that path uh, actually, one of the people that works on the platform team currently also has he has a degree. I think he has a master's degree in architecture, but um, you know decided that he wanted to go into tech, and, and so he works for us now. And he's one of the best programmers I've ever met. So it's it's really I think unnecessary, at least for some jobs, 
For other jobs, um, you know, for, I would say for the most, like web development especially, I don't think you need one. Um, if you're going to a field like machine learning or into the uh, into the academic field or especially into like a lot of these computational kind of, uh, of theory uh jobs, you know, uh, and that would be, I would think, mostly research. If you're going into those fields, I, I really can't say what's necessary, what's not necessary, because I've, I've never worked in those fields. But I, I imagine that if you wanted to work in AI specifically, or you want to work in machine learning, a lot of times, you know, your master's or PhD can, can be maybe not necessary, but super important to open doors for you. You know, I think that in, in the web world, we're just happy when we can find somebody in general. But in that world, there are very few people who are actually qualified to do that work. And so the company wants to hire you, you know, wants to make sure you're qualified. And so they're, they're looking for that master's or PhD, you know, in, in computation or something like that. Um, so, so, you know, I, I would say maybe 70% of the tech jobs out there, you don't need one. And the other 30%, you probably would. That makes sense. It's funny too, because people, they, they talk to me and they're like, well, you know, I'm, I'm seeing these jobs listed and they're saying that they want somebody with a computer science degree. And some of them, yeah, like you said, they, you know, they kind of legitimately, need somebody with a little bit more formal training, but a lot of them don't. And they, you know, they put that on there just because that's sort of the, they need somebody with that level of capability as opposed to that level of education. Exactly. That's so, that's a really good way to put it. Like capability versus education. That's a really good distinction. Yeah, for sure. Yep. So, uh, I guess the last question that we have is picks. Do you have some picks some things you want to shout out about on the show? Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now, and it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Yeah, oh, yeah I definitely do. Um, I, so um, the first one I have on my list here is uh, The Far Side. Do you know the, the Far Side comic strip? Yeah, they're pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, Far Side's very like zany and off the wall and stuff like that. Um, but I, but I really enjoyed it. I, I'm a, a big, I kind of like collect these, these anthologies of Sunday comic strips. And, um, you know, what far side one of my favorite ones. And, uh, it's, I don't think that Gary Larson, who's the artist, I don't think he's doing these anymore. I think he stopped probably in the either early two thousands or late nineties. Uh, but he did them for, for a long, long time. And they're some of the best just, you know, Vizini off the wall comic strips. So check those out if you haven't seen those. My other favorite comic strip at the moment is, is Foxtrot, which is a story about this family, um, you know, with a teenage son, teenage daughter and uh, like an elementary school kid and there's their lives. And, and it's just one of the funniest comic strips I think I've ever, ever read. So, and maybe even more generally speaking, I'll just pick Sunday comics in general because Sunday comics are great. Yep. Probably the best. Like I don't, I don't really read comic books, you know, um, like Spider-Man, Batman, whatever, but Sunday comics are great. Yeah, they are. Funny yeah. stuff. 
Yeah, totally. I think my favorite is Calvin and Hobbes. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Calvin and Hobbes is classic. Yeah. That's good stuff. Uh, let's see. My second pick is Amazon Light Sail. So uh, this is a kind of a, a like a Linode or a DigitalOcean. Um, maybe not the same as DigitalOcean, but definitely the same as Linode or SliceHost or any of those other hosts that let you kind of have a, a piece of hardware that you can run your website on or whatever. Um, and the reason I like light sales, Amazon just recently kind of came out with this. I think it was a proof of concept. It runs on AWS just like all their other stuff does, but it's a lot more user-friendly than AWS. Like AWS has got a lot of bells and whistles and knobs and buttons and things. And it's great for a company like Lumosity because, you know, we need to tune all those knobs and buttons. But for me, just like running my dad's website he, for his construction business, I didn't need all those bells and whistles. And so I was looking into it and I found light sale. Um, and you know, you, 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 uh, you say I need, you know, this and such memory at this and such a, a processor speed and they'll, they'll give you access to, uh, to, to, uh, to an instance that will, that will do that for you. And the great thing about light sale is it's really inexpensive. So I think it's, I think it's $10 a month for one of their lowest, um, instance types. And, um, I, I know that there are other hosts out there like Linode, for example, or Linode. I'm not sure how you say that. Um, that, that will also give you more for less. And I didn't do a lot of research, and so I didn't realize that at first. But uh, I've been really happy with LightSail. It's been really stable. And uh, like I said, they're super easy to use. So I would recommend them. Um, and Chucky, I know you use DigitalOcean. Do you, do you have any um, any kind of like, like what, how is DigitalOcean better? And like what do you, because I want to give people more of, a, of an idea of kind of what the differences are, you know? Yeah. Um, so I've used Linode and DigitalOcean. Uh, disclaimer, uh, Linode is a sponsor of this particular episode. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, I I do use DigitalOcean for my own stuff. I have for a long time. Um, and to be honest, I mean, I I like the interface on DigitalOcean a little bit better than Linode. Uh, the pricing, depending on what you're looking at, is usually pretty comparable. Um, and so then it's the other offerings, right? The backups, the, you know, the, the the level of access, the private networking, they they all offer most of the same things. Um, so it, it really just depends on, you know, which one makes you happy, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I'm kind of a basic use case person. Um, you know, so once you start digging into some of the other features, you know, it, it really starts to to make a difference because they do offer different things, you know. Similar with Rackspace or AWS or some of these other ones, um, they offer different things. Um, I do tell people, though, that if you think you're going to use any of the services in AWS, you may as well just go all the way into AWS because, um, you know, that if, if, you're, if you're on their system, then you can connect to all of their other systems. And so, you know, why do right. all the work across the Internet um, instead of just doing it inside their cloud? But uh, yeah. Linode and uh, DigitalOcean are also starting to offer some of, some of those basic uh, services. So um, DigitalOcean, I've been in contact with them. You know, they're now offering their object storage, which is similar to uh, Amazon's S3. And so, you know, if you're at that level, then you can stay on DigitalOcean or use something that's a little bit simpler to use. And then that's the thing that I really that really it comes down to for me in many cases is just the usability. And, you know, which, which kinds of things they offer as far as like, uh, pre, uh, pre setup, um, images and things like that that you can use. Right. So, yeah. Anyway, awesome. that, that's kind of my take on it. But I, I, yeah, I, 
I've liked DigitalOcean for a long time. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily switch back to one or the other, um, you know, just based on what they offer. You know, there's no killer feature in one or the other that I would necessarily tout as the, oh, I'm going to go use them. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Yeah, no, thanks, and thanks for the, the breakdown there. So my, my third pick is one that's a little bit more personal for me. And um, I just I just wanted to say because I know the you know number of people listen to these and I just wanted to to shout out the that mental health is also a, like a really important thing to to focus on. Um, and when I say mental health, I I mean um, you know preventing burnout and whatnot. A lot of us in in the tech industry we, we work pretty hard. We work on problems that you know are um, a lot of times we're, we're heads down coding. We don't really take care of ourselves, our bodies, our needs, things like that. So I just wanted to um, kind of put out there that, um, you know, professional help is really an, a, a valuable tool. And I know that this is something that a lot of people, there's kind of a, a stigmatization around therapy and psychotherapy, things like that. Um, but I, I just wanted to say from my own personal experience, that's been a, a huge game changer for me in terms of my quality of life is seeing a psychotherapist and, um, you know, talking through some of the things that, that I've been struggling with. Uh, you know, in my job and personal life and whatnot. And, uh, you know, you shouldn't be afraid of that. Shouldn't be afraid of, of talking to somebody or, 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 you know, what people will think of you if you go to a therapist. That's, that's something that, that I struggled with initially. You know, I was nervous. I didn't know what to expect or kind of what the outcome would be or if people would think that I was weak or if people would think I was, um, I don't know what the other word would be, you know, somebody who couldn't handle his own life or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's really all not not true. I think that there's, it's really been a, a really important thing for me. And I just wanted to say that you know if anybody else out there is struggling with burnout or is struggling with uh, anxiety or depression symptoms, that seeking professional help. There's no shame in that at all, and it can be extremely uh, important and extremely uh, useful for your quality of life and just you know for for you and your family in general. Um, so so please don't hesitate to do that. That it's coming from somebody who's done it, somebody who continues to do it. And somebody who uh, you know has has ex experienced a lot of of improvements in his life over time. So, so yeah, just uh, on a more personal note, like I said, hopefully people don't feel too bad about that anymore. Yep, um, we did an episode with Greg Bogus, and he talked about his experiences with depression. It was quite a mm -hmm. long time ago, but I think it's very germane to that. And totally, uh, you know, it's it's interesting too because we, you know, we look at these systems and we you know find the problems and fix them and you know, sometimes we don't think about, you know, our life or our brain as a system. And you know what? Sometimes we need somebody to help us debug what we're dealing with. And, you know, if, if you look at it from that standpoint, um, you know what? You're just, you're just hiring a coder that, you know, has experience <laughs> looking into your brain. And they have all kinds of tools for that. And, yeah, I know that there is some stigma. I know a lot of the stigma is, you know, going away as we understand these things a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I, I completely agree. And I just want to pile on here. You know, I, I haven't gone through anything to the point where I've needed to get professional help, at least not in that area. But, um, you know, I see this in other areas too. You know, I, I, I have gone through some of the, you know, some struggles with business and things like that. Right. And people mm. think, oh, well, you should just know how to deal with these things. And the truth of the matter is sometimes you need somebody to talk you through it. And, you know, it's the same in every other aspect of life. And so if you're struggling with any area of life um, and, and you have the option to go find somebody who can walk you through it. 
And, um, you know, to your point specifically, if you're going through things that are affecting you emotionally or physically or anything else, you know, where, where it is one of these mental health issues, that's going to affect everything else. So you, you definitely need to get that taken care of. And, you know, if people get on your case about getting help, they, they simply don't understand and that, you know, they don't have, they don't have the right or the expertise to speak to anything that you're going through. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. Yeah. And I love the, uh, the analogy that you, you, that you drew there, you know, where your brain is, is a, is a system just like any other system. And, you know, getting help is kind of like just throwing a binding dot pry, you know, right into your brain. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, great. Yeah. And some, sometimes they'll be able to do that and sometimes they'll be able to teach you how to do that. But exactly. Either yeah. Either way, you know, I mean, it's, it's interesting to me how many times people, you know, they start having some kind of problem. I mean, even other health problems, mm. you know, I, I put off, I'm diabetic. I put off going to the doctor and getting diagnosed because I was afraid of what it meant. And then, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's, it's, you think about that and you're like, that is like, you know, and I'm not, I don't want to call anyone stupid, but for me, I was being dumb. I mean, nobody could help me with it until I talked to a doctor about it. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, and it's, it's, I think you're, you hit the nail on the head there. It's like a lot of these decisions to not do something are motivated by, or, or to do something really are motivated by fear, you know, and, and that fear is, is, is something that has to be handled before you can make any progress. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. definitely I agree. I mean, we, we all want to have that quality of life. So uh, go make sure that you're getting yours. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, Chuck. Uh, I, I'm going to jump in here with some picks. Now, this is the fifth podcast episode that I've recorded today. Um, oh. And, uh, you know, four more interviews like this one. And the fifth one was Adventures in Angular. And so I'm trying to think of picks that I haven't picked. <laughs> and I'm having kind of a hard time of it. So, yeah, um, I, I, I guess one of the things that I'm just going to really quickly pick, I, I think I talked about this on one of the JavaScript podcast, so I can get away with it here, um, is I'm, I've am i started uh, setting things up so that I can go to conferences and record uh, interviews with the speakers and kind of capture, hey, what was your talk about? How did you prepare for it? And, you know, what insights did you not have time? Because if, if you've spoken at more than one or two conferences, uh, what you realize is that that half hour goes fast and you had to cut a ton of stuff. And so I, I kind of like to see what wound up on the cutting room floor. And so um, I've been offering to do this for uh, conferences. Um, if your company is sponsoring a conference and you want me to come to that conference and you know give you a little bit more exposure on that, talk to me because I am taking sponsorships for those. Uh, the one that I'm doing next is NG Atlanta, which is an Angular conference. And yes, I have a sponsor for that. It's Kendo UI. Um, so you know they're, they're going to get uh, advertising space on that. But anyway... Um, when I was at CES last week, I, I realized that my phone just doesn't cut it for doing the video. I, I need something that lasts a bit, little bit longer battery-wise. And, um, you know, things just aren't really set up 100% to be able to to record it well on the phone because I essentially have to hold the phone up. I had a monopod, uh, which is like a tripod with one leg, and, you know, I still had to hold it up and aim it and all that stuff. And so I wound up getting some video equipment. And so I'm just going to pick uh, a lot of that stuff. Uh, the first thing I got was a video camera. Um, it's a 4K video camera. Um, I got it on Amazon. It's kind of the, the what do you call it? It's not the name brand version. So uh, um, anyway, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I, I don't remember what brand it is, but it's an off brand. 
Um, but it's a 4K video camera. It cost me about $170. And, uh, you know, that, that should work out pretty nicely. Um, I also got an Ultramax stabilizing uh, handheld stabilizer. has a handle grip on top. It'll fit, you know, any camcorder that has that little screw on the bottom. That, you know, you screw it onto the tripod and stuff. I already have a tripod, so I didn't need to get one of them. Um, but, yeah, so that's also just to allow me to set things up. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, kind of planning on attaching that to the top of the tripod so that I can... The thing is, is so it's U-shaped and the U's on its side. So the camera goes on the bottom uh, arm of the U if you put it on its side. And then all of your attachments go on the top because the camcorder itself doesn't actually have a place to put those attachments on the top like you would on a DSLR camera where it has the place where you put the flash. So that that's really why I got that. But then I can attach my audio equipment and stuff to the top of it. Um, so anyway, so I picked that up. I also picked up uh, a mounting... Uh, what do you call it? I guess it's just a mount for my um, Zoom H6. Uh, the Zoom H6 is basically um, a studio in a box. It has four XLR or quarter inch uh, plugs. So you can plug in all kinds of uh, audio inputs to it. You can equalize them. You can set the audio levels for all of them. It does all that stuff. It's really great. Um, and so I'm hooking that to the top of it. And then I got some XLR cables so that I can hook up my uh, travel microphones to the, the Zoom. And that way I get great audio. And then, you know, I'll just connect the headphone out to the audio in on the camcorder and that way we get great audio all the way around but anyway so that's something that i'm setting up now um the whole kit cost me about 200 bucks um adding in the stuff i i already had the zoom h6 is actually a two or three hundred dollar uh, piece of equipment but everything else i you know the the tripod you can get tripods pretty cheap these days um and all of that stuff so anyway i'm going to be doing that I'm also planning on doing a whole lot more video. So if you want to check out the devchat.tv YouTube channel, just go to devchat.tv slash YouTube and you should be able to find us there. Um, I know that was a little bit long on pics, uh, but anyway, Cameron, if people want to follow you on Twitter or GitHub or check out what you're working on now, maybe you have a blog or on Medium or something, where do they go? Uh, you can go to github.com slash Cameratron. That's my username. So that's C-A-M-E-R-T-R-O-N. Uh, so mostly on GitHub, come say hi. Um, and you can go to lumosity.com to check out all of our awesome games. And we also have a lot of uh, free content. So uh, no, need to, no need to pay. Of course, we'd be glad if you did. But you can go there and check out our free content as well. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll wrap this up and we'll come back with another story next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.